All right. Um, so, uh, if if you know if the sexual act is the highest expression of, of physical love that's possible, and it has to be linked to the other highest aspects of yourself, which are intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, um, reserving it essentially for marriage, where the two become one, then what are some of the things that go against this? And again, um, yeah. So we're on Roman numeral four. Acts that fall short of the design, and it ends up ha harming the humans involved. Um, oh yeah, I mean this. Even though it's a short paragraph, that's a that's a lot uh, to kind of unpack. Um, so we're going to look at all these topics that are below here, and again, the reason we say when they fall short. Um, what's so hard is we use the word sin, and again, sin. You know, if you're happy and you know it, it's a sin. Um, so, so just you have to get rid of that definition and remember that sin is simply something that goes against how it was designed. Sin leaves a hangover. It's an action that leaves a hangover, either if physically, emotionally, spiritually, where it harmed you in the long run for a hit of pleasure. So, so don't look at these as a judgmental term of like that's a sin. Um, look at it like that's a sin. That's going to harm me. Um, you know, meanwhile, Christ's forgiveness of sins, uh, Christ's, uh, you know, dying for the sake of our sins is reparative, is healing. So, uh, again, so the things we are going to look into, a sin is going to, and I, I had this as well, this is a good phrase, um, sin harms your freedom, sin harms your flourishing, and sin harms your happiness in the long run. So we'll look at how pornography, premarital sex, and same-sex acts are kind of outside the design of what God intended for human sexuality. And I think we can see the ramifications in our, in our modern era. Um, we're seeing the more that people design, or uh, the more that people define the sexual act, you know, we're farther away from the original design in our culture than ever before in a lot of ways. And I think we're seeing seeing the ramifications like you know yeah depression anxiety um relationships are are you know not as not as satisfying people report um but anyway let's let's not get into that because i don't have i have those statistics somewhere in these 12 weeks but um not in tonight but let's look at first pornography so of the four parts that the sexual act is meant for pornography removes the unitive meaning it's meant to be with that permanent partner in marriage, given of your whole life. It removes the procreative aspect, and it removes the complementarity of, of which sex was designed for, okay? So, so that is the kind of um, very brief look at what pornography and masturbation uh, coinciding, what they do to the human person. So again, it's not a sin just because it's on a list of no-nos, but when this usage is getting into people's lives, um, it's devastating. So as a priest, um, you know, I help a lot of people. Priests are very much like a like a safe zone that I need to talk with someone else and no one else can can know has to be a safe zone. Priests are that. And so I do help a lot, a lot, a lot of people with their pornography addictions. And we're saying like, um, the first thing I do is I have them take an assessment, um, you know, a pornography usage. The next line is true. Um, 
and I did, I imagine my sister Elise who taught me what clap talking was, but this is the new drug. Like this is the new drug that is out there. It's everywhere. Um, I was reaffirming like what I was looking up, but the average porn expo exposure is like eight to nine now. Vast majority, vast majority have been exposed to porn when they're 13. So by the age of 16, 90% of kids have seen pornography in some aspect. It's everywhere. And then when I help people try to get out, get this out of their life, um, first thing is like, when was your first exposure? And when they tell me around the age of 10, then I'm just going to be honest with them. I said, this has been mixed into your life where you went through puberty, you went through, um, you know, growing up as a part of your coping mechanisms. So we have to teach you new, healthier coping mechanisms. And, and there is a beautiful website, and I love this so much, fightthenewdrug.org. So I don't know. Um, let me just pull it up. One of the things also is a lot of times people think this is a man problem, uh, but now of at of those with porn addiction, it's around 35% women. So uh, 35 to four, well, 35 to 40, depending on like where you are in the United States. But this is not a man's problem. This is a human's problem. Fightthenewdrug.org the drug, fight is beautiful because it has articles, podcasts, videos. Um, I was helping someone with their porn addiction, and the thing that helped him the most was the podcast, just hearing how some people got freedom from it. The reason it, um, well, let's just get into the reason, like, how does it affect the human person? Uh, this website has a great video series that talks about how, how pornography uh, affects the head, the heart, and the world. Um, all these other videos are are amazing as well, but um, let's get into this one. So with fightthenewdrug.org, they have these three minute videos that show how pornography affects the head, how it affects relationships, the heart, and how it affects the world. I just picked one of them, how pornography affects relationships. Okay, so um, again, like, and watch other videos as well, but but in any aspect, uh, the more you can free yourself up from this, um, the more you just become more human. I helped one guy in his 50s um, who had problems for decades, and um, it was so he came to me one day, like after after a year of you know meetings, and he had made so much progress. It was so beautiful to see. Um, and I, I remember like, when we first met, he was very gruff and very abrasive. Um, and then I didn't even notice it because it happened so slowly, but he was he was gentler over time. And uh, but he was always known himself as like a gruff guy, like no one comes up and say hi, hi to me. But he was in the airport. You know, he's like, I was in the airport last week, Father Hall. And this um, this older lady came up and said, just like you have a such a nice smile and then walked away. And and he was like, that's never happened to me. Like, why why does she do that? And and Holy Spirit moment just was like it, it clicked in my head that when he kicked the porn, he just became more human. He's more accessible. 
He was more loving. He was standing there smiling, which is something that when he was addicted to this stuff was not happening. He had this, you know, fierce countenance, but yeah. So anyway, this is one of the ways that people kind of fall short of what the sexual act is designed for. No shame, absolutely no shame, because a lot of the porn exposures I've had to deal with with people were definitely not their fault. But it goes back to that old adage that my uh, kind of the rector at my seminary said, it's not your fault, but it is your problem. And so, um, yeah, if you need help kicking this, there are many programs or diocese has help uh, get an assessment. Um, but this is one of the ways, the reason it's so harmful is, that, yeah, it just removes so much of what uh, the sexual act is designed for, and therefore it harms in general, okay? So that is one example of something that falls short of what sex was designed for. Uh, let me look at anonymous questions here really quickly. Can you be forgiven of any sin? Short answer, yes. Long answer, yes, but. Um, there are two things that scripture says the Holy Spirit uh, cannot forgive. Um, let's just call those things, um, oh, it's presumption is one, and, oh, I'm blanking on the other. I, I can describe it. What's the other one? Presumption and despair. Thank you so much. Um, so the two things that can't be forgiven are actually on our end. God can forgive anything, but the two things that can't be forgiven are our end. So th the first one is despair. Despair is thinking like, I can't be forgiven. If you think you can't be forgiven, then God can't get in there to forgive. So if you think I cannot be forgiven, there's no way God can get in there to forgive. Does that kind of, it's like staying away from someone's forgiveness because it's like, oh, I'm unforgivable. So I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna ask for forgiveness. Um, yeah, so that's one that cannot be forgiven because you, 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 you aren't asking for it. And then the second one is presumption. Be very careful of this. Um, presumption is I'm going to do this thing and God will forgive me. You're presuming God's mercy. So if you ever feel like you have done that, like, um, so when I deal with those who are addicted to pornography, um, I've told them, you know, they, they, they come in confession. It's like, father, you know, I fell, it's the same sin. Uh, you know, they say the sin, I also have them, did you did you kind of presume God's forgiveness in this? Which is fine, I mean, but as long as you confess it. So the second thing that can't be forgiven is just saying like, I'm gonna do this, God's gonna forgive it anyway. If you feel presumption, just bring it up in confession too, and the sin of presumption, and then boom, you're taken care of. Um, so bring both of those up in confession if you feel like, um, you know, I feel like I can't be forgiven and God won't forgive me. It's like, okay, that's despair. But what's happening here is he's going to forgive you because you brought it up. Like that's just, you open the door ever so slightly. And same with presumption. Well, God will forgive me, right? I'm going to bring up presumption that opens the door to let his forgiveness in. So those are the two sins that cannot be, that, that can't be forgiven, but they're a block on our end. Hopefully that kind of makes sense. Good. That's a great question. Um, all right, so that was pornography. Again, you know, the priest is saying, saying porn and things, sorry. Um, so, you know, 
premarital sex is another one that has just become more common in the culture because um Oh, just various reasons, uh, because they've redefined relationships and redefined what sex is. Uh, and so if, with this new redefinition, so a lot of people are engaging in premarital sex uh, more often. So this definitely removes the highest level of unity that the human heart is designed for. Um, the human heart is designed for you are being extremely vulnerable, giving over your whole person physically to another. And it is that vulnerability is affirmed by their commitment of doesn't matter. I'm here to stay forever. Um, so that aspect is removed with premarital sex. Um, we talked about highest expression of love. So Jason Everett is a great uh, speaker on this. Um, Jason Everett, um, Everett and his wife, Kristalina, um, talk about um, they are very good Catholic speakers about this. So if tonight leaves you a little like, eh, that was fine, that section on, on what sex is, it was okay, premarital sex, but I still have some conflict with it. Um, watch a lot more videos by him, um, and it will be a lot more helpful, I think. So he puts it best. Sex is the marriage vows made flesh. So first you entrust yourself to your beloved on your highest levels, like we talked about, and then you express it physically, okay? So your vows on your wedding day are, are invisible. Granted, they're audible, like we can hear them, and there's witnesses to it, but that bond you created is invisible. It is a, it is a bond that is irrevocable, strong, blessed by God, sealed by God, but it is invisible to the human eye and so how humans are designed is then that beautiful, strong, highest level of connection that's humanly possible is then expressed physically afterwards. Okay, so it affirms those vows that you have made. And so premarital sex like places uh, the physical act somewhere else. You know, and another, not to hammer, you know, I'm not gonna hammer on this one much because we only have 30 minutes and like um, other very important things. This is a great, I love this. How to how to save your marriage before you meet your spouse. He's talking to college kids. I showed it to my juniors, but I think I've shown it to married couples who've been married 30 years. Um, I highly recommend this video. Um, how to how to save your marriage before you meet your spouse. Um, it's funny. It's energetic, but it brings a lot of truths um, to give. Uh, so if you have, you know, for you who have some teens or something, this is a great one to show teens. So that's why premarital sex, again, it's not like a judgy, shamey thing, but it's like it hurts the human person and human relationship because it's not its not what the human deserves. Um, one of his great lines is that premarital sex isn't going too far. It's not going far enough. You're only giving body. Maybe you are giving emotion, in, but it's not like full life. You go all the way means like I'm giving you my whole life, my future, my past, my present. I'm put, placing my my salvation. Like your job is now to get me to heaven as mine is to get yours to heaven. So again, the problem with premarital sex isn't going too far, quote unquote. It's not going far enough. We want the whole person to be given and then physically expressed. So anyway, that's the aspect of premarital sex. Um, that the church is trying to defend. It's a, it's so beautiful. Sex is so beautiful. 
and it's so wonderful, but again, people keep trying to drag it down to something different, and it's not working out for the human heart lately. Anyway, okay, so the next one, uh, same-sex acts, okay? This one, I begin by saying, like, with all, all respect and love with, with people with same-sex desires, um, Christianity has handled this terribly. I'm, I'm making no apologies. Um, Christianity has handled this terribly. Um, well, I guess I get to the truth a little bit, and then I'll get more to this. But um, so, as we've done with the other things, like same sex, the same sex sexual acts remove the complementarity and procreative aspects of what sex was defined designed for. Um, and I would say there are two major errors where Christianity just fell flat on its face with this one um, when it came to talking with people who have desires for the same sex. The first error, the first error was love means wielding the truth like a hammer. Like, you know, you are not meant to have, you know, sexual acts with same sex attraction. Um, Wielding truth like a hammer, just shoving it in people's faces, uh, instills shame. Uh, so I, I'll talk about who I work with, but um, when speaking the truth about the design of the human sexual desire, some, and if you just keep hammering on the do nots and cannots, you are going to have someone who is sitting there with their same sex desires, which they naturally feel did not ask for, they are going to they are going to relate that to this feeling that they naturally have is bad. So therefore, they have to go through this whole process of like, well, does that mean I'm bad? Was I made wrong? You know, how did God allow that? So wielding the truth like a hammer, saying like, you know, sex was made for marriage between a man and a woman, and and then just kind of saying like, and it gets politicized a lot too, like, um, as kind of a demonizing of someone, well, they they talk about being okay with same-sex desire. Anyway, so this is very isolating for a person. So the first error is to wield truth like a hammer, but the second error is love hiding truth's challenges. Okay, so you might you might emphasize the welcoming and the acceptance and the love that they should have because they are a human person and deserve all human dignity. But then you're really vague about kind of what Christ taught and, and the philosophy behind the sexual act. Um, in the end, people who kind of hide the truth just to highlight the welcoming aspect and the loving aspect, um, a lot of people then later on are like, wait a minute, you know, a biblical sexual ethic, Jesus said this, God laid this out, philosophy says this. It's kind of like a bait and switch if you hide the truth. So the two major errors were kind of Christianity fell flat on its face with people who have same-sex desires are are this, like this wielding truth like a hammer just and and steamrolling over people's feelings. And then on the other hand, just kind of, well, well, let's not talk about that truthful aspect and let's just focus on the, yay, you are you are loved. And then it hides a lot of the Christian message, um, which is not fair. And it and honestly, bait and switches some people. Um, so I am a chaplain for a movement called Eden Invitation. I even proudly have my sticker on my water bottle. I saw all the 
you know, they gave me uh, some stickers and I saw the cool kids had like stickers on their water bottles. So, um, so I, uh, yeah, in uh, Hastings where all the young teachers in their twenties, they had stickers on their water bottles. So I, I did it too. Um, so Eden Invitation is a movement that aims to kind of build a community for people who have same sex desires and gender discordance. It's for Catholics and Christians, even though it's like 95% Catholic, um, as they walk the path of life, seeking the way, the truth, and the life. Um, let me just kind of play this video of what is Eden Invitation, and I can kind of unpack it more if you have questions. Okay, so that is, um, you know, Eden Invitation. So, because here you have this teaching that marriage, lifelong partnerships, um, the sexual act itself are for one man and one woman. And then you have the church on the other hand saying, you know, holding up this beautiful truth, this is how the human person, the human family, society will flourish if you hold up this family, love of family, tonight's topic. But then you have these people who are experiencing same-sex desire, something they did not ask for on any, on any kind of spectrum because there's some videos of personal interviews like Andrew, which we can, we'll see a little bit of, um, you know, he has always had only same sex attraction. He came out at 19 as gay, lived in the LGBTQ spaces. Um, there's another one, Raquel, who had more, um, well, we'll kind of talk about that. Uh, but so you have this beautiful teaching on the human person, human sexuality, how it's, uh, how it's healing and reparative. But then you have a bunch of people who are saying, well, what do I do? And I think the church is just now catching up with beautiful things. Uh, Eden Imitation creates what are called, uh, there's a huge online community. Five years ago, there was two people, the founders, the first two uh, ladies that you saw, uh, Anna Carter and Shannon Ochoa. And one night they were just talking and they just had one of those, you know, those deep and meaningful conversations you get like with just a, a friend, uh, had a deep and meaningful, Anna felt, comfortable enough that she shared her same-sex desires and then Shannon was like you know what I experienced the same thing and that night they just hatched out this idea of like creating something very I think the Holy Spirit is very much um, a part of this movement because two five years ago it was two people but now here we are five years later and there's about 500 nationally and some international um, last year, last March, I went to lead a retreat for Eden Invitation where 50 individuals got together um, to pray, uh, to experience God's love, to experience community. But mostly that was praying about, hey, Eden Invitation is getting so big so fast. What do we do with this, with this big movement? So um, like one of my spiritual directees online is in another state and she is, she has what's called a hearth. Uh, Eden Invitation Christ tries to create in-person community as well, as well as online. Um, and her hearth has 12 people. And these are 12 people who go to the movies together, pick each other up from the airport. Um, yeah. I said, go to the movies, make dinner, like just have community, like actual uh, family, in other words. Because a lot of people have a problem. We're all made for intimacy, but unfortunately, in our contemporary philosophy, intimacy has come to mean sex when it's not. Intimacy means into me see. I love there's a sister who who came up with that. Into me see. And that can be fulfilled with deep, good friendships. And that is what 
this community is seeing. So when you kind of express the truth of human person, marriage, um, the sexual act, and someone asks, well, what did, what did this do? So we're now finally catching up in a lot of ways um, by building community. And so a lot of my spiritual directees, uh, words getting around a little bit in, in Lincoln as well. And that's been maybe one of the reasons why I was asked to be pastor here as well, because they wanted more of a presence to um, be able to receive the whole person who has experience kind of in this realm. And I have comfort with it. Uh, what, of my three best friends, one is the typical, like, yes, he's another priest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, second one is uh, he's, he's Catholic, he's married, he's got kids. Um, but the third one is a non-Christian lesbian, and we've been friends for 19 years now. And so I have more comfort in this area. I didn't know God would call me to be a chaplain for this movement, um, but it's beautiful. And so I feel very, uh, very comfortable. And I just want you to be more excited in this realm because we all have family members or friends um, who are in this realm. And a lot of times as Catholics, we feel like we're on the back foot, like, oh, we're really wrong. I'm, we're almost like apologizing, but... As someone said in that retreat that I went to with people in Eat Invitation, um, one lady was like, you know, this is a joyful life. And just everyone just erupted just because she lived, you know, the LGBTQ life. And but she lived then the Christian life. And she's like, she could tell you from her own experiences, like, this is where I've come alive. So. It's hard. It's different. Um, most people are not used to talking about this. Um, I'm I'm very comfortable talking about this. So if, again, if you're, um, I don't know if you expected this tonight, um, but uh, anyway, so Eden Invitation is, is one of the movements that's coming up um, just to help people. So there's hope, this is a blessed life. Um, and I wish I could give you so many of the, their testimonies about this. But if you need more, um, go to Eden Invitation and this porch series. Um, there's Andrew, Raquel. Yeah. So anyway, porch series, Eden Invitation, and you are going to view um, different videos. Another helpful link is if you like podcasts, Living Out. Living Out is a podcast. They're uh, British, so if you can't handle British, uh, I love British accents. Um, they're Protestant Christians. A lot of them are pastors in their Protestant churches. Uh, one guy's from the north in and northern England says he's a pasta, like sounds like pasta, and he makes fun. Everyone else makes fun of him, but they have a hard question series which is beautiful. Here are their hard questions, and these are all same-sex attracted Christians who are living a chaste celibate life and they are going to preach what the what the gospel says about marriage and sexuality. Here are their hard question series where they answer these. What does God really say about sexuality? Isn't the Christian sex, sexual ethic harmful and repressive? Christian plus same-sex attracted, is it doable? Will I ever feel at ease with myself and my sexuality? Should I call myself gay? Does Christian teaching cause LGBT mental health problems? Great podcast series where they 
yeah, I would recommend, even if you don't have anyone that you know, listen to these and they'd be very helpful. Uh, Eden Invitation, EdenInvitation.com. Uh, Courage Catholic Ministry has been around. Courage is more private. Um, uh, Eden Invitation is more for people who want to be like connected with community and maybe talk. There are some, some people in the Invitation who are completely out. Like you ask them, uh, one guy that I know um, in his mid-30s, is he came out to his Catholic congregation because at all of the young adult single uh, mixers, uh, he kept getting asked out by women. <laughs> and he was like, uh, he he couldn't think of polite ways to keep turning them down because he's, you know, he's funny. He has a good job. Uh, he's there as a, in a Catholic young adult. Um, so he he couldn't keep thinking of polite ways to keep saying no. And then finally he felt at peace, came out to them, and it was a very beautiful thing. Uh, so some people are, you know, open about this. Some are not, um, but totally okay. Courage is more, more low key, but uh, has a, more of a international, national method. Um, just with time, I'll show just a little bit of Andrew's story. What I love and what I love about the porch series is they start the first half of the film. You know, because what do you expect him to start talking about right away? Like his same-sex attractions and what it's like. But the first half of the, both, all of these films are more like their hobbies and who they are. Because that that's more honest. There's a whole human person here. Um, so we'll watch his hobby, a little bit of his talk, but um, I'll leave the rest for you just for time's sake. Anyway, so feel free. There are other ones like, uh, let's get going, but... Um, but like, again, it shows the whole human person, his, like who he is. Uh, so I met him at that retreat. Uh, he is a New Yorker through, and he's a close talker. I don't know, do you know close talkers? So he's like right here. And I was like, there you go, buddy. Like, so he, he was just all New Yorker. And here I am in the Midwest. Like, you know, we apologize for everything. And um, yeah, so he was a great guy to get to know on that retreat. Um, Raquel is the reason that I actually, um, you know, I donated to them because I used their videos in class. And then she saw, I got an email once from her and it's like, hi, I saw an FR dot in front of your name. Are you a Catholic priest? And I said, yes. Uh, do you want to do more for Eden Invitation? I was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, so what is that? And so we communicated back and forth. We had a Zoom meeting. And if you do have to go, that's okay. Um, we had a Zoom meeting. Uh, but in the end, I asked my bishop, like, hey, this is an invitation. Can I be a chaplain for them? That means I have spiritual directees online and in person. I go help them at retreats. Uh, next March, by next, I mean, oh, my gosh. By next, I mean in two months, uh, I'm going to go go help them. Is it March? I think it's March. I'm going to go help at their next retreat. So, uh, yeah. There's a lot of wonderful things in this area. I can't get them all out, but hopefully you've at least taken the message because so many people reduce Catholic teaching to Catholics hate gay people, and it's the exact opposite. It's like, just like any other person, we want to show you a different life. Um, a lot of times we view, a lot of people like focus so much on the same sex attracted and their sexual acts, but then it's like straight couples who have premarital sex, we kind of like, well, that's, uh, you know, that's okay. We kind of turn that down when honestly they're, they're very much on the same plane. And so sometimes we just turn up the volume on those who are same sex attracted, which is not how it is actually like 
even playing field, like neither are living the the chaste life or how sexuality was uh, designed. Um, so lastly, and I'm not going to do it justice just because this has been, um, thank you guys. I know hopefully this has been okay. Um, I could have just done like a basics, like here's this, but I thought like, let's just get into it. Um, the last one is gender discordance. Um, so I like this word and it came from Eden invitation. Um, gender discordance is where your, your self image doesn't match what is physically present. Okay. And the reason I like gender discordance is because a lot of people react to that in different ways. There are some people who have no anxiety about that. It's just like, yeah, I have this kind of image how, you know, I, I should be, but I'm not. So, but there's no anxiety. But then there are some who are higher and actually have what's called dysphoria. Dysphoria is there's a physical discomfort between the fighting of the, the self-image of what you should be and what is physically present. Um, I really relate it. I've helped uh, some young women and, and a couple young men with eating disorders. And what, what the foundational start was, was healing the image. Um, you know, knowing your body type. Uh, there was one young woman who um, her body type, I, I showed her what her body type would look like healthy. And because she was trying to be, you might not know like the ectomorph, mesomorph, you know those at all? Anyway, so she was trying, she thought like the skinny, like tall, skinny, but she was uh, shorter and and not that. And so I was showing her, we had to kind of reprogram like, or heal the self image of what looks good and correspond with the body. So all of this teaching boiled down to gender discordance is, goes back to the philosophy, right? To help heal and look at what actually exists and then respond to what actually exists. So the reason I relate it to eating disorders is the main purpose is to heal the image and to match with what, exact, with what exists. But for some reason, the world with, all, with, with gender discordance does the opposite. The world philosophy is saying like, let's change the body to match the mind's issue. Um, as you can see, that's a philosophical difference. I would want someone with gender discordance to be able to wake up in the morning without surgery, without pills, without specific clothes, without dyes, to look in the mirror and say like, I like this. I mean, in the morning you're a mess, but but even to look at the mess and be like, yeah, this is okay. Um, that would be the goal of Christian freedom, is to be able to see self without assistance and just be like, yeah, I like, I like this. This, this is me. This is my body. That's the goal for people with eating disorders. Uh, I don't know if you know body identity, um, body integrity, identity disorder, BIID. It's where people think that parts of their body are not theirs. So like some people will say like, this is my arm up till here. And then this is not my arm. And so then they want to surgically remove from there. Have you heard of that BIID? Um, Psychologists would say like, no, you're removing a healthy part of you. Don't do that. Let's heal your mind's image about your body. Like this is you. But again, with gender discordance, the world is kind of taking the opposite of go ahead change, change what the body is to match the, the mind. But Christian freedom would say like, let's love what's here. You know, 
you are this weight and this height and this bone structure and this coloring and this, um, yeah. In what ways can you freely love that? All right. So that was a is that a that was a lot, right? Da da da. So let's uh, let's pray, and then we'll let people go, and then I'll read some anonymous questions if they're there or take some live ones. Um, sorry, there wasn't more time for it. It just was there was a lot. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we ended tonight with that idea of our own self-image, can you bless that? Can you heal that? You, you designed our bodies. We are different, men and women, but, but we are equal in dignity. So help us to understand how we were created, how we were made. Let us take joy in how we were made. And then discovering who we are, may that truth bring us freedom and happiness. Bless us as we kind of help others understanding the sexual act. And may we bring Christ's joy to everywhere in the world. And we ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Go ahead and head out. And for those who want to maybe stay for if there are questions. Oh, no questions. Okay, I, I did it perfectly.